Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Welcome in, Hokie fans, to this week's edition of the Tech Sideline Podcast. On today's episode, we've got a very special guest, Virginia Tech head football coach Brent Pry. Coach is going to answer a wide range of questions, including recent staff departures, lessons learned from a tough season, and his plans for the program going forward. That's coming up on episode 286 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, which starts right now. Welcome back in. We record on Tuesday, February 28th, 2023 from our high-tech studio at the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center right here in Blacksburg, Virginia. We welcome you in, whether you're listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you consume your podcasts, or watching on YouTube. If you're on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe while you're there, and also turn on the notification bell so you don't miss any future TSL content. Tech Sideline is presented by First Bank and Trust Company. They're giving away one free annual TSL Pass subscription each week from January through mid-March. I think we got a couple of weeks left. So to enter, hit the link in the YouTube description or find one of their ads on the TechSideline.com website. Be sure to enter every week and remember who you choose to bank with can make all the difference in your overall experience. First Bank and Trust Company is the bank that puts you first. Visit www.firstbank.com to learn more. So I'm Tech Sideline founder Will Stewart, and uh, let's introduce everybody else. To my right, we've got lead analyst and columnist Chris Coleman. Producing uh, off screen is Kyle Marshak, and sitting across from me, Emmanuel Recognize, Virginia Tech head coach Brent Pry. Coach, welcome in. Good morning, guys. Good to be back. We know you're a busy man, so especially we got a little week. bit going yeah. on over <laughs> in the Merriman right now. Yeah, we really appreciate you taking the time. So. You are setting a record today. You're the first person to appear on the Tech Sideline podcast three times. You're kidding me. Besides us. <laughs> the <laughs> Besides first coach to do that, huh? Yep. Yeah. And I've only been here short short time. 14 so. months, thereabouts. Okay. Yeah. Well, even Wit, we've had Wit twice. So uh, so you're, right. you're, you're a third timer now. Yep. Well, I'm still telling everybody I don't say uh, no to anything. So we're, we were over at the uh, – the leadership fraternity last night from seven to eight, wow. about a hundred students, the head of the department, some some students that were really interested in development, growth. How do I be an effective leader? Uh, it was awesome. You know, it was one of those things driving over. You're like, why did I say yes to this? <laughs> and then you get over there, and it was awesome. And you're they glad had, you did. Yep. They had great questions, and we're really into it. So I'm always doing that kind of stuff. My my wife is like, I'll be fine once it gets started. It'll be fine. <laughs> um, so the the first couple of times we had you on, the first time we talked about football. Yeah. And I remember at one point you said, "When are the hard questions coming?" Yeah. And then yeah. the second time we had you on, we didn't even talk football. We talked about other stuff. I remember that. We talked so, about the Almond uh, Brothers. Yeah. Yeah. I always enjoy talking <laughs> we'll, about that. We'll get to that. that. I actually have an Almond Brothers question. Um, but this time around, we are going to ask some more challenging questions. Yeah. But let's Love start that. with this. When you were on the last podcast, we did talk about your fanship of the Almond Brothers. Mm-hmm. And you said it was legit. You've been to over 50 concerts. So I got an email after that podcast from a guy who had a 
uh, signed limited edition guitar signed by Greg Allman. And he said, I want to know if I'm, I don't want to keep it. I want to know if coach is interested in it. So I sent the email over to, I think the SID at the time, is that ringing a bell? Did you wind up buying that guitar? If that email had come to me, it'd be up on the wall in my man cave. <laughs> so we got to take care of that. For so you, when so. we leave here, I'm calling Pete Morse. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Pete, Pete's one of Pete's characteristics is he can be a little scatterbrained. So, <laughs> so uh, what we're going to do here is I'm going to ask a question, then I'm going to bounce it over to Chris. So we're going to go back and forth. Okay. Sometimes the questions will be connected. Other times there'll sure. be different things. And so we had we had everything put together that we wanted to ask. And yep. we actually had the staff meeting yesterday morning. Had our ducks all in a row, and then the news came out at yeah. noon that uh, Joe Rudolph was moving on. So, so let's talk about that. You've had two staff departures in the last week. Brad Glenn to Cincinnati, great promotion for him. Yep. And Joe Rudolph to uh, Notre Dame. So my first question for you regarding those is, um, when did you know and when did you find out? Can you walk us through the process of what you experienced on your end? Yeah, I can give you some more insight on it. And just out of respect to those guys, I don't want to say too much, but Brad had entertained an interview a month ago uh, for a coordinator's job in the SEC and, excuse me, in the ACC. And, um, you know, so it, it gets the wheels turning, okay, this is something he'll want to do if this happens. You know, what direction do we want to go? So, so he, he did let you know. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the guys have been great. You know, communication is really important to me with our players and our staff. You know, we encourage nobody to be afraid of a hard conversation. Let's have them and work through them. Uh, we'll be better for it. We'll better solutions, better path to, you know, a good positive outcome. So, yeah, Brad was certainly good. And, you know, it didn't work out for him at that time, but – it got Tyler and I talking and, you know, other people that I can fight in on what direction we would go, what would we want to do. So we've got a good plan there. Um, you know, with Joe's situation, he was very upfront. He actually had two interviews, uh, one in the NFL and, and one with Notre Dame. Um, you know, the Notre Dame thing, I don't know that you could call it an interview. Uh, he's got a long history with, with Marcus. Um, back to Ohio State when Joe was a GA. So that was a little bit more of just a, is it right for both sides? And here's all the information. Um, so Joe did that uh, and then came, was you know with us through the weekend at the travel clinic. And he and I talked. He, Don, and the boys were going to visit about it Sunday. Um, you know, Witt was – Awesome. I spent some some time going back and forth with Wit on what we can do for Joe and his family. And um, so Sunday afternoon, we get back from our travel clinics, and I had an appointment in the office. And then when I left there, I went to Joe's house and and spent about an hour with he and Don and and talked to the boys a little bit. And and they were going through it. You know, they were going through it, and uh, certainly support Joe. Um, the thing I would say is I don't think fans and even just in general people outside the coaching profession, I don't know that they understand or see or believe as much that coaches make decisions for a lot more reasons than the notoriety of a program, 
money. You know, it's about location sometimes, about a wife, about children, about school system, about homes, about location to loved ones, about sick parents. You know, it's like everybody just wants to drive the narrative that it's about the school or money. And, you know, this, was, uh, this wasn't about money for Joe and Don. This was about what was best for their family right now. Right. So, you know, we support Joe. We supported Brad. Um, and to be honest, you know, you never want to see somebody leave after a year. You want that continuity. Uh, but I will say particularly, you know, with Joe's case, the foundation in that room is really, really good. Uh, he did a great job in a short time of, of laying the foundation that's necessary for a good offensive line room. So uh, I sat in there yesterday when, when he had, you know, let the O-line know, and it was certainly tough for him. It's never tough to leave a group that you're heavily invested in. Um, so. All right. So the, the timing is difficult. Um, I, I imagine that your timeline is, is pretty short. You, you definitely want new coaches in before spring football starts, which is March 16th. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. Can you shed any light on, on your timeline on when you think things will happen <clears throat> and when we'll hear anything? Yeah. I, the first thing I would say is, I don't know if you saw, you know, Penn State lost their defensive line coach yesterday. Uh, again, it, these things happen. You can't control the timing. The NFL always operates a little later. Mm -hmm. And when somebody goes from a college to the NFL, now all of a sudden the college thing can happen a little later. So, you know, I think you're always prepared for it. Um, and, you, and you have situations, right? It'd be awful hard to start spring practice without a line coach. Yeah. Could you navigate it without – you know, your quarterback coach, potentially, and depending on how you're going to do things. Um, so we've had those discussions. We've already had a list for – one thing I learned from James was you always have a really good list of guys that you know, you know. And we'd go to the national convention every year, and I'd go through the lobby, and I'd see James having lunch with the D coordinator at a rival school or at another conference, and I'm like – What's he doing? He's like, well, I'm going to be ready. When you when you leave one day, I'm, I'm going to know who I want. So, you know, we've got a strong list, and we've already been, uh, you know, to be honest, when those things started rumbling with, with Joe, we had a lot of phone calls going on out there, um, you know, gauging interest, vetting possible candidates. Um, so we're in a pretty good place with it. A lot has to happen these next couple of days. Um, to make sure that, you know, we're in a good place. So a question that uh, I know fans have, and I have this one too, um, and, and, you know, if this is an unfair characterization, that's fine. Would you say that is this a Tyler Bowen hire or a Brent Pry hire or combination? You know, how would you describe You're that? You're talking about filling these two positions? Yeah. That's yeah. Tyler and I together. Yeah. Uh, with input from, from Stu Holt and Fontel and – you guys know it's important to me. We hire people that we know a lot about. Yeah. Same way in the recruiting process. I want to have all the information to ensure that that recruit or that coach or that off-the-field staff member, that they're right for me and my vision for how we're going to do this and that they're right for Virginia Tech. Speaking of recruiting, uh, when you look at this list of signees from this past class, you see schools like Highland Springs, DeMatha, Bishop McDevitt. What does it mean to get guys that come out of 
big time high schools like that that are noted for winning a ton of games. Uh, are, are those players maybe a little more advanced than other players? Uh, do they come in with more knowledge of what it takes to win? But what's your experience there? We're very proud of that class for the reasons you're talking about. Not only are they talented, but you have a near 800 win percentage for the 26 high school players. You have 20 state championships in their high school career, and you have 22 captains out of 26 signees. So the maturity, the, the, the knowing the, the, what it takes, the standards and expectations to win, the investment, the cost, the leadership from the coaches in those schools – uh, really important to us. You know, I, I I tell Lauren Johnson all the time, if we don't take a player from your program every year, I don't know what we're doing. The way they practice, the way they hold those guys accountable, you know, the talent that's there, the way they have learned how to win, um, you know, that's just one example. But we're very proud of that class, and I do think it's impactful. Especially when you're in a situation where you're going to need to play some youth. Guys are going to need to play early. Mm -hmm. When they have a better understanding and there's less of what people talk about, the rawness, whether it's athletically, whether it's learning how to watch film, whether it's learning how to practice. You know, sometimes you go to a high school and you watch the drills and it looks like middle school, you know, and there's just not a lot going on, you know, and you go, man, this, this dude's pretty raw. They don't watch film during the week. They, and then you go to another school, and it's a major operation. And they right. try and model themselves after a college program the, the best they can. So uh, it's an important piece to it. So continuing in that vein, you've got a bunch of those guys on campus already. You know, we do. I, I don't have the list in my head. We've got um, 17 scholarship players wow. counting the transfers. Yeah. And then we've got uh, five additional PWOs that joined us in January yeah. also. Um, amongst the high school guys, the young guys, are there any that are standing out to you in, in, in your workouts as, as being mature like you described? And- yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, when you talk about Pop Watson, he's got a real confidence about him. Coach's son. Right. Exactly. Uh, same with Mose Phillips, mm-hmm. coach's son. And these guys just, you know, they're not, they're not bashful. They step up there, Pop throws the ball. You know, Mose competes against Nasir and Jalen Stroman. And, you know, there's just something there that that you can't really coach. You know, that takes some time. But these guys are in a pretty good place that way. All those guys, there's nobody we're disappointed in right now. You know, it's everybody got better each week. All those those young guys and the growth, Antonio Cotman. And, you know, so uh, we're pleased with where they're at right now. How'd your coaching clinics go this year? I know you just finished them up this past weekend. I, I couldn't be more proud of the staff. It, it's a major endeavor. You know, we went to Charlotte the weekend before. You work all week. You grind all week, right? February is professional development. It's watching your cut-ups. It's 6 a.m. workouts with our players. It's player meetings. It's all these things. And then you load up on a Greyhound, you know, on Friday and take off. And, you know, last weekend we only did it Friday night in Charlotte which was very well received. Nobody's been doing that down there. The state schools don't do it. Um, you know, so it's, it's a, it was a good lick for us. Uh, DJ, Coach Jones, is very well known in that area. He's recruited it for a long time. 
And then this weekend, we loaded up on that bus with an additional 10 staff members. We were about 33, 34 strong. And uh, we went to Richmond Friday night and had our best clinic of the entire travel circuit. I had about 125, 140 coaches. Went really, really well. A lot of football extended pretty late. Um, Got on the bus Saturday, took the staff to a nice lunch in D.C., um, then dropped everybody off at the National Mall there. And and they had about an hour and a half to explore some museums and exhibits. We jumped on the bus, went out to um, Springfield, and uh, checked in, and an hour later, we're rolling again with coaches from Northern Virginia and DMV. Uh, again, it's you know it, it's introductions, and it's it's some you know what we're about, and 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 then it's a coordinator breakout session, and then it's position coach breakout sessions, grease boards all over the place, video going on, uh, a lot of pizza and wings, and you know so it's a really good deal, but. We get back, you know, Sunday at two o'clock and your weekend's gone, you know, and you try and squeeze a couple hours in with your wife and your children and, um, you know, relax a little bit for guys who don't have a family here. So it's, it's, it's a lot to ask, but I think it's, it's, it's really impactful. The coaches genuinely appreciate it. When we talk about recruiting this state and this state being important to us, our footprint being important, we got to back it up. And that certainly demonstrates that. We have a question from one subscriber who's from the 757. Why wasn't there a 757 convention this year? Yeah, so we did 757 last year. Mm -hmm. Again, when you talk about the sacrifice that's that's necessary, we can't do all the areas every year. So we're going to rotate that through. Um, You know, we've already talked about different ways to do Charlotte, uh, do we not go to Richmond and go to 757 in Northern Virginia next year? So it's going to be on a rotation. Okay. okay. Yeah. Uh, so to continue along this line of questioning, you know, your your efforts to recruit the state have been well documented. Um, tell us about North Carolina. You just talked about Charlotte, but specifically, are, are you guys making an effort to target the, uh, the Triangle area? Because that's a big growth area, a lot of good football players there. What are you doing to recruit that? And I know it's tough because you got Carolina and NC State yeah. right there. I think that's where you have to be careful investing too much. Um, there's certain areas that make more sense to me where there'll be more kids that identify with tech than with Chapel Hill or yeah. Durham. Mm-hmm. And those areas are going to get a little more attention. But particularly on this side of the state, when it when it's so close to us, and I mean, you can be in Charlotte like that. Um, You're more you know, likely to go to Winston Salem and Charlotte than you are to correct. Rye. Okay, there's more kids. You know, those for a lot of those kids in the western part of the state, they're they're closer to us than they are. Uh, yeah, to, to North Carolina and North Carolina, and state. they don't have to drive down Interstate 40 correct. to get to Virginia Tech. <laughs> correct. Uh, um, <clears throat> so let's shift gears a little bit. Uh, I wanted to ask you about you know. Last season, and I joked with Witt about a, a little bit about this. He, he hired you, and you guys did a great job winning the off season. Then the season starts, yeah. and you go three and eight. Um, so I'll keep the question simple. What is the single most important thing you learned as a new head coach that you're going to apply to next year? I know there's a lot of details and nuance to this, but when somebody asks you what's the single most important thing, what's your answer to that? I have to be more involved in every facet of the football team, you know, more so on the field than off. 
I've got to be involved in the offense. I got to be involved in special teams. I got to be present at punt, present at kickoff return, present, you know, at, at scout inside run with the offense. Um, you know, the mentality, the wh- where the emphasis falls, what I see and what I need and what I want. I need to make sure that's happening with our staff and our players. So and, if so, if you're participating in those things, it's not it's not necessarily bringing coaching acumen but just saying this is important to me and coaches and players both you know the details that I look for and expect you know I've got a I've got a red pen out there at every practice and I've got a sheet that says offense defense special teams management and so I'm looking for things that you know that that catch my eye that say this isn't how it needs to be we got to be better here it may be clocks it may be field security it may be how we're doing inside run and how many reps we're getting and are we moving the hashes and but you know it was tougher last year because as the year went the defensive notes were always filled up full (laughs) because that's where most of my time was spent Um, even when I was on that offensive field I was looking over my shoulder you know watching what was going on in an install period with the defense so I thought it was important the last game of the season. Liberty, uh, you know, pulling Chris in first part of the week. Listen, you're going to call the game. Give you a chance to to do that and and know it, you know, early on here. And even though Chris prepared each and every week as if he was going to call it, which was important, so he was ready when the opportunity came. But it gave me a chance to really be a better head coach, you know, throughout the game, being present in each and every huddle that was taking the field. I thought you looked more engaged in that game. It felt better. Mm. It felt better. It's it's hard to let those defensive reins go. Number one, I love it. That's what I mean, I love calling the defense and preparing those guys. Number two, that's kind of – you want to make sure that goes. But I don't think I gave the attention that's necessary to our offense and our special teams – because of the dual row in year one. Now, if you ask me if I'd do it again, I would. I would just do it a little differently. You know, I'd, I would I would manage my time a little better and be more disciplined in time spent in the other areas. Yeah. Uh, would I still call a defense in year one? Absolutely. Would I still be in that room a lot? Absolutely. Uh, that was important to me for the long run. Did you have more fun well, you won the game, so of course you had fun. But uh, did you have more fun maybe being involved with everything in the Liberty game as opposed to just calling defensive plays? And it was a different experience, but uh, you know, different can be fun sometimes. It's a good question because I did have more fun. But like you said, we won. You know, would I would I be able to say that if it hadn't gone our way? I don't know. But you know, it, it those those kids. It's hard for them not to feel like I was a little bit more over here in the defensive world, you know, mm-hmm. that the emphasis was there. And as the season unfolded, I kind of felt like, all right, I've got to do a better job here. You know, these guys, I don't want them to think that, you know, my priorities over here. Um, but in a way it was. So it was challenging. Yeah. So that's that's the answer to your question. <clears throat> you know, it's interesting because we asked a similar question to Witt and – and Witt answered, and then at the end he said, you know, Coach Pride did what he said he was going to do. 
as far as calling the defense for most of the year. So what was the, <clears throat> we'll go positive, negative. What was the biggest positive surprise of your first year, something that went better than you thought it would? You know, I think uh, I was very proud. I don't know that I was surprised, but you never know. In a tough season, I've been around where things didn't go well, particularly if one side of the ball seems to, it seems to be tilted and you know, fingers get pointed and we're a brand-new staff. And, you know, but they really stuck together. I was very proud of the kids and the staff. Um, you know, I don't know that I'm surprised because I expect that, but you never know how that's really going to go. Yeah. What was the biggest negative surprise, something that went south that you thought was going to go better? I thought we'd be able to run the ball better. Yeah. You know, and I think you know, we didn't block quite well enough at, in the front and at tight end. And we had, you know, we had injury issues at running back that kept us from really establishing a run game. Yeah. Will you use the quarterback more in the run game this year? Is that part of the plan going forward? I would like to. You know, I think uh, and when I say that, that means, yes, we will. <laughs> um, you know, that was something that, you know, I, I just believed I didn't want to get in there and mess things up if I didn't have a really good idea of what needed to change or look different. You know, there were some, some bright guys in there that have had a lot of success in this industry. And, um, you know, they needed to have a chance to work it out with me trying to throw a monkey wrench in it. Right. Yeah. Um, but one comment that uh, – you know, that I did feel strongly about was we've got a quarterback that can run. We need to do it a little bit more. Mm -hmm. I don't know that that happened at the degree I'd like it to, uh, and there's a lot of reasons why. But I know as a defensive play caller, when you have to defend the quarterback runs, uh, it's challenging. You know, and Grant had some good runs, he did. Uh, particularly down the stretch. But to me, you run them until they can't, until uh, they tell you they can stop it. You know, you got to do it enough. I know you've been asked this question, but we'll, we'll ask it to you here in, in this forum. Um, last year, going into next year, um, is there going to be a change in philosophy in the offense? How would, how would Let's expand on that a little bit. How would you describe your offensive philosophy going into last year? Did it change during the season, and what's it going to be like going into next year? And really what people are looking for is, you know, a, a, a lot of fans – think that Virginia Tech tried to be a power-blocking, run-up-the-middle type team early, uh, add a little bit more misdirection and some more quarterback run later, and how does that affect what you're going to do going yeah. into next I year? I think that's a fairly accurate observation. That is what occurred. I, don't, I, I think I said it multiple times. Right. We want it to be multiple personnel, tight end wing, get in 11, get in 12, you know, get edges, establish the run to help us throw the football. Um, you know, a couple things. We just we weren't effective enough running the ball. You know, we, we couldn't sustain blocks like we needed. Um, and, and we had the injury issues at running back, and we still got to be better in that room. But then we couldn't separate. You know, we couldn't separate at wide receiver. And, uh, you know, so there was a lot that compounded uh, our issues. And, and to be honest, going into the season, we knew we had some problems. Right. Um, but you're not going to come out there and, and say, well, man, you know, we're not very good. I don't know if we can do this, this, or this, you know, <laughs> you're going to stay optimistic and sure. you're going to be positive. Um, so, and I, I think the other thing a little bit was just, you know, a, a genuine lack of depth. You know, there were too many question marks on our roster. When you go down the list, 
You know, and you look at 125 guys, and that's everybody. That's the scout team that you have to work against that's, that needs to do a really good job week in and week out. It's the specialist. It's, and we just, whether it was a skill set or a cultural issue, guys that just you didn't know what you were going to get when you put them out there. There's too many snaps of that going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why you recruit. That's why you stack a good class one after another to where you have less questions. Um, I think we're moving in the right direction there. Um, guys have to earn their spots as opposed to, well, we have to put somebody out there. Yeah, that's right. So it's 11-11, right? So everything you did in the in the offseason, you know, in the transfer portal, you brought in three transfer wide receivers. You brought in by Shaw Tootin at, at running back. You brought in a new quarterback. Just, you know, and pe- people will see those guys in games, but you're going to see them on a daily basis. How, how do they change the, your team dynamic on a daily basis? Yeah, Just that's by a good question. First of all, the first team meeting when they're sitting there and there were seven of them, you know, everybody's kind of looking around like, you know, so you got to break the ice. Mm. You know, and I told them, I can't wait to see Bayshaw compete against Malachi on a tire pull <laughs> or in a hoop drill. Or I can't wait to see Grant and Kyron compete, you know, in a sled push. Like, you know, you, let's go. That's where we're at. We want competition, you know, and we told the guys that I was in the team meeting. We want to be better. We're better. Because the skill set these guys bring in and the way they elevate the room. You know, they make everybody better. The competition is required for the growth of your roster. And and we've helped ourselves there. Not just with those seven transfers. And I will mention Derek Canteen because he's one of my favorites right now. Um, the way he's competing and working, he's earned a ton of respect in our program very quickly. But um, also the high school guys did that for us. Yeah. You, uh, you got Coach pretty fired up with that one. <laughs> so one more offensive question from me, um, kind of bringing all this around full circle. Whatever, whatever was uh, off about the operation that resulted in it being ranked above number 100 in the country in, in a lot of metrics, um, with the departure of your quarterback coach and your offensive line coach, um, is this an opportunity to uh, – kind of uh i'm looking for the right term here shake it up yeah kind of shake it up and and whatever was wrong reshape it into what you want it is yeah you know that's something that i've thought about since the end of the season you know what does it really need to look like and uh so we've got some things going on that i think are going to be very beneficial uh to how we operate how we do things um you know like i said you never want to lose a coach after one season but it does give you the flexibility to make some changes and do some things differently, you know, in who you hire and their philosophy and what they're about and the way you shape your staff. Yeah, excellent. Getting into a little more personnel, who have been some of the early standouts in your off-season strength and conditioning program? Yeah, I tell you, um, I'd like to mention Christian Moss. He's a really good-looking athlete that was underwhelming to this point. And uh, I told the story to the team, and I think Christian would be fine with me telling it here. He came into my office before we broke for the winter, and I thought he was going to quit. I thought he was telling me he was going home. Just hadn't seen a lot out of him, wasn't sure he loved it. And it was the exact opposite. He made a very um, impactful statement to me about what he was going to do and what he wanted from this. I was okay, good, 
you know, but we'll until he comes, see it, right? Yeah. And he has absolutely backed it up. Uh, he's 195 pounds. He can run. He's talented. And he has worked his tail off on not said a word and gotten better each and every outing. So I'm excited about him. Um, I think Parker Clements, very average offseason last year. He had some nagging injuries in the summer. He had the meniscus surgery, right? So I'm really excited about the progress he's made this winter. You know, we call the winter our phase one. Hmm. And that's that's four lifts a week. That's three runs a week. That's um, two morning sessions with the coaching staff and the strength staff. That's competitions and agility and cone drill and mat drills. And, and um, you know, he's been really, really good. Um, you know, yesterday I also mentioned Kelly Lawson to the team. You know, he's adding weight. He competes like crazy every single snap. Uh, Jalen Stroman has had a really good offseason. He's one of those guys that was here the majority of the Christmas break. He went home for four or five days and was in that weight room, you know, calling up Coach Galt. Hey, can I get in? Can I, I want to come. Really changing his body, getting himself in the best shape of his life. So there's a lot of good things going on with some guys. Um, then we got some freshmen, Johnny Garrett. Xavier Chaplin, Johnny Dixon, a bunch of guys that are really impressing us right now. You know, every summer during interview opportunities, I ask the older players on the team to name a young player that they think has a chance yeah. to be really good. And last summer, Caleb Smith told me, Christian Moss, if he works hard and really applies himself, the physical talent is there that he's going to yeah. be a really good player. Yeah. So it's nice to hear that. Yep. The mental aspects of it are, are catching up to the physical tools. Yeah. You know, I think one of the challenges as coaches, a sign of good coaching, is when you can – guys are going to develop at a certain pace, right? And I have the conversation a lot with, with our players and, I, and for years at Penn State. Either you, you're going to do this now and you're going to hear what I'm saying and you're going to take the coaching and invest and sacrifice – or it's going to be a year from now. Like, it's up to you. Do you want success and you want to impact our team now? Then it, you got to make some changes. If you don't, eh, we're going to be having the same conversation next year. So the more guys that you can, they can gain a sense of maturity and what's really necessary, the quicker they can help you. And the more likely they are to reach their ceiling because they start that process right. earlier. That's right. So uh, switching to the defensive side of the ball for me, um, I, th I thought the D was fairly solid in uh, most respects, especially when you consider that I looked it up and, and the offense had an average time of possession of 28.55. Yeah. So the defense was, was on the field more than the offense. And you could see that in some of the games where they had trouble holding down the fort late. Yep. Um, and certainly the Liberty game was the other way around. It was just one game, but that was a game where the offense had pace, it controlled the ball, and the defense was able to close out the end of the game yep. in that one. Um, so what did you see from the defense that you liked and didn't like last year, and what adjustments are you making going into this, this coming spring and season? Yeah. I, I think uh, the ob ob observation you made is correct. I think we put a little too much on the defense the majority of the games. Um, I think Liberty was different because we did control the ball and had success. And I would say it's not necessarily just the lack of success or production offensively. It's the lack of depth defensively. 
I mean, we had two corners that were playing every snap. Um, we had, you know, just too much Dax playing too many plays. Um, there just wasn't the depth there to handle the, the tilt. And, you know, we, we needed a little bit more help, and we could have hung in there a little bit better, I think. I mean, that, you know, that's special teams. I kept saying my message was we got to play better complementary ball, and that's what I meant. We had to help out in other areas. We needed more turnovers defensively. You know, to get the defense off the field and give us a few more opportunities to do something because you know, our success ratio wasn't great. So, it uh, you know, complimentary ball I think is really important. I want to go talk about the McDonald twins for a second. Yeah. You now this predates you, but when they were originally being recruited by Tech, you know, you, you can look on these guys' social media profiles, and you know, during COVID, you can't get into a weight room, and they've got they got their own home gym, which for a while was set up outdoors. You could actually see them lifting and there's snow flurries coming down. Just their work ethic has always been there. They came here as 215-pound defensive backs. Now they're 240, 250-pound linebacker, defensive end. Where are they at in their development right now? They see, they've they made a lot of strides physically, but where are they now as football players? Yeah, so this is a big time for them, um, particularly to spring. You know, They have to take that skill set their strengths and they got to go out there and, and be able to function in the defense and function well uh, I love these guys and and they got great parents you know they work their tails off they got beautiful bodies um, they got strengths they got weaknesses but these guys can impact our defense and it, and it they will they will this year how much depends on how quickly they can learn it function in the defense at a high level and play fast. Uh, but they certainly both have a pretty good skill set. I mean, when we get off the bus, we're going to look pretty good now. we got some good-looking rascals, particularly at that linebacker spot. You know, him and, and Kelly Lawson and mm -hmm. McDonald and, and Keontae and those guys. So, uh, Jaden Keller. But uh, those twins, you know, I'm excited about those guys. Is Jaden like your ideal type of Mike from a physical makeup or is he going to play in that role this spring that's where he is right now okay. you know it's not going to surprise me if he's the starter it's not going to surprise me if he's sharing time with tisdale or whatever that shakes out i think he's going to help us defensively but we're we're going to be significantly faster uh, he's a guy that can really run he's got straight line speed um you know he doesn't have a feel in the box that dax has you know he doesn't have that yet but he is instinctive and he is smart. Um, he's got a, you know, part of that mic position yeah. is communicating and leading that defense. And he's obviously got to have some growth there. But uh, I'm excited about the spring for him. I think his brother potentially has the best, best pass rush ability of the group. You know, we'll see how it shakes out this spring. But he started coming on down the stretch mm -hmm. and, and flashing. He battled two different injuries throughout the season that kept him from really improving like we hoped he would. So we're excited about both those guys. So one of the questions that fans ask us, ask us or one of the topics they want us to talk about with you is the, uh, the number of penalties from, from last season. And I felt a little sheepish because you went out and played ODU, had 15 penalties, and I actually wrote in a column, that just doesn't – you're not going to see that again. That, that's a one-off. <laughs> and then it kind of carried through the season. Yeah. And uh, – what have you analyzed as far as that goes? What were the core reasons? And, and a lot of it was pre-snap, like 10 false starts against uh, NC yeah. State, I believe. A lot of it was pre-snap. Um, 
What have you done to analyze that and, and stomp that out and improve that part of the operation? Yeah, so specifically with our cadence, we worked on some things to, to make that a little bit better for the guys up front, a little bit easier on the snap count. Now that happened about halfway through the season, and there was an improvement down the stretch. I think the other thing is when you've got a group that is fighting and, and scraping to try and make a play, to try and do what's asked, to try and win a game, you know, they, they get outside the box. You know, they almost try too hard, you know, and, and things happen that, you know, that work against us when, you know, it, you got to play with a purpose. You know, you got to play with a purpose when the ball snap, but also before the snap. You got to be locked in. You got to focus. You don't have to do more than what's asked of you. And I think the guys were pushing. You know, they were pressing to make plays, to make things happen. They were anxious. Um, so to reel them back in, you know, that's my job. And uh, I think there's there's been an improvement there. And I also think having those penalty runs on Sundays, that made a difference too down the stretch. <laughs> yeah. Mansoor Elaine had a great freshman season, yeah. particularly impressive considering he missed most of the preseason. Was there a point where you realized and really clicked in your head, you're like, wow, that guy's a, a really good player. Uh, he's like one of my old Penn State guys, right? Yeah. Was there a point where you're like, okay, this guy has to be on the field? Do you remember like anything specific about that, or was it more of a gradual? The first thing I remember about Mansoor is he, he was in a blue jersey non-contact, so he was able to do seven on seven. And there were two practices in a row where he made multiple plays diving for an interception that we didn't really want to see him do in a blue jersey. <laughs> so you're like, no, no, no. Yeah, man, that yeah. was a heck of a play. You know, he really opened our eyes to okay. Because he was working at safety. Mm -hmm. And with the lack of depth at corner and Dorian's injury, it just – he was the, the next best option. And, uh, you know, obviously he's a quick learner. He's got good instincts. The game yeah. comes pretty easy to him. You know, we had to work at some other things, but the game comes pretty easy. Uh, I think he, you'll continue to see him make plays for us. With Dorian Strong, Canteen, and Elaine all, all there now, who plays the, 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 the nickel role? Is that something Canteen does, or is that more Delane? Does he slide inside on those situations? Yeah, both those guys are options. Um, and good options. I think uh, Canteen has a, a strong history at that position. If you talk to the coaches at Georgia Southern, they really they had a heck of a freshman year. And But, um, you know, Mansoor just has so many different skill sets. Because you talk mm -hmm. about a, a spot where you're going to have to blitz, you're going to have to play man, you have you're going to play zone, you have to do things. Um, but I think they're both good candidates. We'll have to navigate that either way. You know, if Canteen continues to progress, um, you know, you got three guys right there that are vets that, you know, have played a lot. And and then you got a really talented group of freshmen. Uh, a couple of those guys are here now, but particularly enrolling in the summer, mm -hmm. uh, more corner type guys that can help us. So uh, one thing I was really impressed with last year was the, the fan support. Um, Me too. Yeah. You know, with, with uh, so I've got it written down here. Tech, Virginia Tech sold out three of – there were only five home games. <clears throat> Excuse me. Virginia Tech sold out three of them and didn't go below 62,000 in a 65,000-seat stadium for any game, including 62,000 for an 11 a.m. kickoff against Wofford. Yeah, that's right. 
Um, so, you know, give me your, your thoughts on that. Uh, I mean, you, you come from Penn State where, uh, you know, Virginia Tech fans, I think, have a respect for the crowds at Penn State, not at a place like Michigan or even Ohio State or something like that. But so you were used to that environment at Penn State. My wife's a Penn State grad. She likes those whiteouts and mm-hmm. you know, they, they were pioneers in that. So uh, just talk about what that meant to you to see that kind of fan support. Obviously, uh, we love it. We appreciate it. It's one of the things that makes Virginia Tech football special. It's one of the things that will allow us to win an ACC championship again here. Uh, our players love our fans. Our coaches love our fans. Um, when we went down that walkway, and it was 10 o'clock for the Walford game, and the student section was completely filled um, I, you just don't find that a lot of places. You just don't. Um, you know, we had a, we had a, a, a good crowd at our Penn State games, but one of the most impressive places to me was Iowa, and their stadium was about the size of of Lane, and it was one of the tougher places for us to go. Hmm. And I believe we can have that here. Um, you know, we got we got folks that are going to stand up and they're in sweatshirts and blue jeans, and they're going to be cheering and hollering and you know, some of those places they got a hundred thousand, but they sit in their seats and you know they're not throwing fists in the air. They're they're hand clapping and you know having sidebar conversations, but uh, not in Lane Stadium. So we're very appreciative, very proud. It's a great selling point on the recruiting trail. Uh, we saw those videos of the entrance and and the, the stadium, and I mean that's. High school kids, they want to go somewhere where they can play in front of a crowd like that. So, you know, we talk about it all the time as a team and as a staff. When we get this thing rolling, how awesome it's going to be for our crowd, our fan base, for everybody involved. When you look within your six-hour radius, uh, you if you drive north from Blacksburg, you got to go all the way to Penn State before you find an atmosphere like that. you got to go all the way south to Clemson and South Carolina before you can find an atmosphere like that. There's a lot of good football players in -hmm. between. And, you know, I feel like when you're recruiting against UVA, you're recruiting against North Carolina, even NC State, that's a decided advantage for Virginia Tech. It is. Yeah, it is. I think, um, you know, when when you can couple that with a winning program, you got a pretty strong deal. You couple those two things with good people, Good coach, coaches that are relational. Um, you, you got to some really important ingredients uh, to going out on the recruiting trail and having a lot of success. Well, you mentioned injuries at running back early, uh, earlier in the podcast. Uh, Bishol Tootin, he's got a little bit of a different build than those running backs you, you put out there last year. It's like he was born to be a running back. It, he looks like he has that exact <laughs> yeah. look. Yeah. Yep. Uh, what does he? What does he bring to the table? He he does not. He seemed out of place in FCS football to me. Yeah, and that happens. You know, recruiting's not an exact science, and he's got an interesting story. So does Quan Felton about why they ended up where they ended up. But uh, uh, baseball is—he's uh, very good at everything. Mm-hmm. He can catch the ball, he can cut, he can break tackles. Uh, he's smart. He can pass pro. Um, you know, so he's—he's he's got a really good skill set. We're excited about what he brings to the table. I think we'll have a heck of a competition. You got Malachi, you got Chance, you got Bashaw, you got Bryce Duke. I mean, there's, you know, I'm really impressed with Jeremiah Coney right now. Um, he's a guy to me that 
you know, man, he looks the part as a running back right now against some older guys. And I already know Coach Marvin, those guys are looking at him saying, man, this cat could play linebacker for us. So, you know, but uh, that running back room, you know, we got a good problem in there. Chris, we got about two or three minutes. Anything else? I'm, I'm out of my script. I've been questions. keeping up with the time on Coach's phone there. Um, <laughs> I just want to make sure that whoever has that Greg Allman signed guitar, please send that email. Travis, I'll, I'll be in touch with you about yeah. that. All right. You're going to be really disappointed now if he's already sold it to yes, somebody else. Yes, I am. Else. But let us know who you sold it to. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Um, all right. Anything else you want to ask? I'm good. No, I think I'm good. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, appreciate the time. Like I said, I know you got a lot going on. Yeah. Thanks, guys. And folks, that has been episode 286 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, presented by First Bank and Trust Company. Thanks for watching and listening, and we'll see you again next time. All right. Awesome.